Section 6. Research. Quote, because of the problem of idiosyncrasy, however, no research finding and no theory will ever generalize to every setting and to every child. End quote. Quote, despite the different forms it takes, all action research has a common intention, the belief that we may develop our understandings while at the same time bringing about change in concrete situations. End quote. Quote, this paper will, five, provide no five except to agree with Jean Cocteau when he says, quote, angels fly because they take themselves lightly, end quote, end quote. Research in the contemporary field reveals the influence of the arts, humanities, and social theory. Quantitative research is relatively rare at this time. In this section, we will review the defeat of quantitative research in the curriculum field and the victory of qualitative research, including action research, ethnography, and theoretical research. Relying on Joe Kinchelow's Portrait of Critical Research, we will outline the main requirements of contemporary curriculum research, although few scholars would subscribe to all these requirements. Next, we introduce ethnography, including an outline of how to plan such research. Finally, we sample theoretical research, as illustrated in Peter McLaren's analysis of selected issues in ethnographic research in which he reconceives culture as a field of discourse. Having provided an abbreviated and introductory tour of the illustrative forms of contemporary research in the field, we will conclude the chapter with a depiction of the paradigm wars which led to the present field. After the defeat of positivism, the assumption that human experience can only be understood via research methods modeled after those employed in the natural sciences, there are problems in the use of that term. Research and American curriculum studies moved away from quantitative research, including the use of statistics toward the humanities, aesthetics, and social theory. Research became increasingly qualitative, an umbrella term which includes all non-quantitative work. In the proceedings of an important conference on the status of qualitative research held at Stanford University and sponsored by Teachers College Press in June 1988, Elliot Eisner and Alan Peshkin observed, quote, We refer to the shift from the quantitative to the qualitative by a host of distinguished American scholars. Shift does not accurately characterize the variety of circumstances that describe what may, in fact, represent a conversion by some of them and an embracing of both modes of inquiry by some others. Included in the list of such scholars are Lee Kronbach, Donald Campbell, Robert Stake, Egan Cuba, and Philip Jackson, all of whom were trained to be quantitative researchers and gained considerable repute as such. End quote. There are, of course, antecedents to contemporary qualitative curriculum research, especially with an interest in school improvement. Others have noted this shift. Tracing the quantitative research tradition to Thorndike, credited with starting the mathematization of human experience in educational research, Robert Don Moyer observed, quote, Quite clearly, Thorndike's conception of educational research has been knocked off its pedestal. End quote. Debates over positivism continue, as evidenced by a special 1992 issue of The Educational Researcher. Note the titles of articles in that issue. Schrags's In Defense of Positivist Research Paradigms. Eisner's Are All Causal Claims Positivistic? 
a reply to Francis Schrag. Erickson's Why the Clinical Trial Doesn't Work as a Metaphor for Educational Research. Popkowitz's Cartesian Anxiety, Linguistic Communism, and Reading Texts. And Schrag's Is There Light at the End of This Tunnel? Issues of objectivity and subjectivity also continue to be debated. See, for instance, Eisner's Objectivity in Educational Research, in which he attacks the concept of objectivity. Eisner writes, quote, The upshot of my message is to urge that we recognize objectivity for what it is, a concept built upon a faulty epistemology that leads to an unrealizable ideal in its ontological state and a matter of consensus, in its procedural state, end quote. Others argue that both objectivity and subjectivity are dead. Egon Cuba has become interested in what he terms relativism, which he distinguished from so-called post-positivist perspectives. Quote, The relativist position has much to recommend it. Relativism is not a presupposition of either the post-positivist paradigm, which currently enjoys hegemony, or of ideological-oriented paradigms such as neo-Marxism, critical theory, feminist theory, and the like. End quote. What are the main points of contention in these debates? Positivism and quantitative research have tended to assume the following. 1. In the same circumstances, many people will have the same experience. 2. The majority dictates reality. 3. The individual is omitted in understanding a situation. For example, generalization, rather than what is unique, is important. 4. There is a tendency to treat subjects as means to ends. And five, quantitative research pretends that objectivity, including political neutrality, is possible by eradicating subjectivity and ideology. These epistemological debates are now of peripheral interest to those of us who have moved beyond quarrels over quantitative and qualitative. For many of us at work in the field today, these debates have been over for 20 years. Examples of Action Research Indeed, qualitative research has extended to nearly all areas of educational research, including those spheres interested in the school, for example, so-called action research, in which researchers and teachers form collaborative relationships to make curriculum change. Action research is a prime example of that category of scholarship in the contemporary field, which Jackson has termed as moving closer to practitioners. See the classic instance of this work, Carr and Chemist's Becoming Critical, Education, Knowledge, and Action Research. Other titles which point to the range of topics studied from the point of view of action research include Sanger's Awakening a Scream of Consciousness, The Critical Group, and Action Research. Rogers, Noblet, and Farrell's Action Research as an Agent for Developing Teachers' Communicative Competence. Allen and Miller's Teacher-Researcher Collaboratives, Cooperative Professional Development. Dicker's using action research to navigate an unfamiliar teaching assignment. McElroy's Becoming Real and Ethic at the Heart of Action Research. Ogberg's Methods and Meanings in Action Research, the Action Research Journal. Cornett's Utilizing Action Research in Graduate Curriculum Courses. McCutcheon and Young's Alternative Perspectives on Action Research. Boostrom, Jackson, and Hansen's Coming Together and Staying Apart, How a Group of Teachers and researchers sought to bridge the research practice gap. And Mishler's Validation and Inquiry-Guided Research, the Role of Exemplars in Narrative Studies. This last study focuses on narrative as a model for qualitative research, 
a model also employed by Connolly and Clandolin. See chapters 10 and 13. See BD for a questioning of the practical and a-theoretical character of action research. In addition to narrative theory, phenomenology, post-structuralism, and political theory have spawned specialized versions of action research. For instance, phenomenologist Terry Carson asks, what kind of knowing is critical action research? He answers, quote, despite the different forms it takes, all action research has a common intention, the belief that we may develop our understandings while at the same time bringing about change in concrete situations, end quote. This belief is widely shared by action researchers working from a variety of theoretical perspectives. We would add that it is an essential feature of understanding, as we have employed the term in the title of this textbook. Carson's phenomenological orientation becomes clear when he writes, quote, Action research as a way of knowing becomes a hermeneutics of practice, the improvement of the quality of our life together, rather than improvements in an incremental bureaucratic sense, end quote. How-to guides to action research are available. See, for example, Harry F. Walcott's Writing Up Qualitative Research and Carson, Connors, Ripley, and Smith's Creating Possibilities, an Action Research Handbook. Action research is often reported in case study form, which presumably allows theoretical constructs to be expressed concretely. Because the humanities have been especially influential in the reconceptualized field, much contemporary scholarship resembles but does not coincide with research and scholarship conducted in the humanities, especially in the fields of literary criticism, aesthetic criticism, and history, and to a lesser extent in philosophy, especially phenomenology, and religion, especially theology. Social theory has been influential as well, especially in the efforts to understand curriculum as political, racial, gender, and institutional text. Finally, Interdisciplinary areas, including feminist theory and international studies, have influenced the character of contemporary curriculum research. Methodologically, anthropology has been influential, specifically via ethnography. While we leave more specific discussion of research traditions to individual chapters on specific discourses, we can summarize what many scholars tend to regard as characteristic of research in the reconceptualized field. Thomas Popkowitz summarizes essential elements of contemporary curriculum research when he writes, quote, Understanding research requires thought about the intersection of biography, history, and social structure. While we are immersed in our personal histories, our practices are not simply products of our intent and will. We take part in the routines of daily life. We use language that is socially created to make camaraderie with others possible, and we develop affiliations with the roles and institutions that give form to our identities, end quote. Here we are pointed to efforts to understand curriculum as political text, social structure, as autobiographical, biographical text, life histories, as institutional text, and to their intersections. Relatedly, William Schubert has noted, quote, I wish to argue that practical curriculum inquiry offers a research perspective that more fully embraces the democratic and personal than does research as usually conceived, end quote. Practical or theoretical research. As we will see, for at least one tradition, the post-structuralist, the distinction between theory and practice has disappeared. See chapter 9. As Jackson noted, both theoretical and practical orders of research are recommended by Schwab, and it appears the contemporary field has taken his advice. 
Schubert has suggested, quote, Surely the question is not whether theoretical or practical research should dominate educational inquiry. Rather, it is now to generate a conscious sensitivity among those who create and use research so that they might discover the degree that each mode best serves particular research purposes. End quote. Anticipating the development of his teacher lore project, see chapter 10, almost a decade later, Schubert concluded, quote, Finally, practitioners and scholars must inquire together to discover research modes that most productively serve the massive problems confronting the daily flow of students into schools. This should be a central aim of educational research as we enter the 1980s. End quote. Joining Schubert and others focusing on teachers' lore, or personal practical knowledge as sources for understanding curriculum, Hugh Munby asserted, quote, practical knowledge has considerable scope as a source for curriculum theory, end quote. Working from science education and an interest in constructivism, a theory which views knowledge as constructed, not merely discovered, science educator Ronald Good points to the significance of context, quote, to go beyond the many faces, facades, of constructivism to the inner workings of curriculum and instruction is to recognize the importance of context. The context of real students with real curricula allows the faces to become recognizable. End quote. For one sketch of implications of constructivism for practice, for classroom practice, see Brooks and Brooks. So-called practical research has its drawbacks, however. Nancy King has observed. Quote, researchers are ordinarily under some pressure to provide answers or solutions to the problems confronting school systems. They may believe that they do not have the time or the freedom to develop the deep understanding of curricular issues required to provide an adequate response to the problems of schools. End quote. It is exactly issues of time and freedom that have persuaded some theoreticians to distance themselves from schools. Even those who work in schools, who regard teaching as research, but from the point of view of teachers, hold sophisticated theoretical positions. To sum up, in the contemporary field, theory and practice are often regarded as embedded in each other. Short, Willis, and Schubert conceive of, quote, each individual developing the responsibility to ask fundamental curriculum questions about his, her, own growth and its consequences for the growth of others that reconceives the theory into practice problem as practice and theory embedded in one another. End quote. Contemporary scholars rarely regard theory as perspective. Such a view expresses a hierarchical expert-client relationship, a vertical power structure which often breeds teacher resistance to expert-originating prescriptions. For instance, Robert Don Moyer raised several questions in this regard. Quote, Why scholars continue to complain that most curriculum theory and research are unusable? Why those who look behind the classroom door discover that even when a curriculum theory has been adopted and translated into official policy, it normally is not implemented by classroom teachers? And why even when teachers sincerely espouse a particular curriculum theory, the gap between their espoused theory and their theory in use often remains wide? End quote. Because each school setting, indeed each classroom, is idiosyncratic, Theory cannot be developed in the university, for example, and applied in a school. Due to this problem of idiosyncrasy, the distance between theory and practice, in Don Moyer's view, is not to be eliminated. Quote, the gap is unavoidable, not a problem to be resolved. End quote. 
He is not suggesting that research is unimportant, only that, quote, because of the problem of idiosyncrasy, however, no research finding and no theory will ever generalize to every setting and to every child, end quote. There can be little disagreement here. The point of research. The point of contemporary curriculum research is to stimulate self-reflection, self-understanding, and social change. Simply put, practical or theoretical research is intended as much to provoke questions as it is to answer questions. As Joe Kinchelow suggests, quote, theorizing is a tentative process of reflection about one's experience for the purpose of becoming an author of that experience, end quote. Sixty years earlier, Henry C. Morrison, a curriculum professor at the University of Chicago, understood that practice alone cannot stand. Quote, For a good many years, in attempting to study the fundamentals of our art, first with schoolmasters and teachers in practice, and then with university students in education, I have chiefly been struck by their desire to be told how to do it, and by their reluctance to believe that recipes cannot be written so that he who runs may read and run quickly, and with minimum effort, arrive at pedagogical efficiency. Parallel to this impatience of school workers themselves seems to be the impatience of people who introduce themselves as practical men and women who call for something that our teachers can carry out. Far from the possibility of any such cut-and-dried conception of instructional processes is the principle that from day to day, from pupil to pupil, from district to district, the problem varies and must constantly be restated and solved anew. End quote. Morrison then calls for a system of educational thinking based on a valid understanding of what education is. End quote. Critical research. Critical research tends to be identified with political discourses, chapter 5, although there are links also with racial, gender, and autobiographical discourses, see chapter 6, 7, and 10, respectively. Joe Kinchelow summarizes basic assumptions of critical research in ways which incorporate the interests not only of the discourses above, but the phenomenological and post-structuralist discourses as well. Consequently, we will substitute reconceptualized curriculum research for critical to imply this broader association. To be considered critical, research must meet, Kinchelos tells us, five requirements. First, critical research, quote, must reject positivist notions of rationality, objectivity, and truth. Critical research will reject the positivist assumption that educational issues are technical rather than political or ethical in character, end quote. We would amend that this statement to acknowledge that, for strands of discourses which understand curriculum as institutional text, a technical framework remains. See chapter 13. Second, Kinchelow continues, to be critical, research must incorporate the perspectives of those involved in school practice in the researcher's interpretation of their educational practices. Research must attempt to distinguish between ideologically laden interpretations and those which transcend ideological disfiguration. Critical research, Kinchelos tells us, attempts to analyze false consciousness, misunderstanding what is reality, especially politically reality, while indicating strategies for overcoming its effects. Research critically examines those aspects of the dominant social order which block educators' efforts to pursue authentically educational, rather than political and economic, goals. For example, the destructive effects of social structure or of educational or governmental bureaucracy 
are analyzed and their effects strategically contested. Finally, Kinchelow insists that critical research always links theory and practice. One purpose of research, quote, is to help guide the work lives of teachers by discovering possible actions they might take if they are to overcome the obstacles social structures place in their way, end quote. Incorporating a phenomenological perspective, Kinchelow writes that a, quote, critical constructivist researcher seeks to uncover the phenomenological life history of actors in education settings. He goes on to suggest that the researcher as life historian employs, quote, the interaction of one, the phenomenology of life history, the nature of the student's experience as discrete phenomenon, uh, for example, lived events just as they exist, and two, critical hermeneutics involving the interpretation of life history, end quote. In the following passage, the interweaving of political and phenomenological perspectives in Kinchelow's notion of critical research becomes clear. He writes, quote, The action researcher uncovers the student's perceptual organization of the information and gains insight into who the student really is by asking a series of questions of the student and of the information obtained. 1. What aspects of the student's life does he or she choose to remember, and how does ideology affect the choices? 2. How do the narrative forms chosen to relate and categorize events reflect ideological formulas that unconsciously construct memory? 3. What are the competing forces that are structuring consciousness, and what are the psychological fault lines formed by the clash of such forces? 4. How does the student's perceptual organization of his or her life history, with the accompanying fault lines of ideology conflict, help construct the student's relationship with the school, the learning process in general? 5. How might the teacher-researcher relate to school and to teachers if he or she had a similar life history? Such research promises to grant teachers a degree of empathy with students rarely achieved in educational settings. End quote. Kinchelow concludes that, quote, only when we as teachers are able to rescue wisdom from the cult of the expert will we control our own professional destinies and release students from the burden of history, end quote. In Kinchelow's skillful summary, we see the reconceptualized field's insistence that research is not merely the accumulation of knowledge. It supports a wider and more just distribution of knowledge so that teachers and students alike may be emboldened and enlivened. Ethnography. Once the sole province of anthropologists, ethnography has emerged as a major mode of research in the reconceptualized field of curriculum, as well as in the broader field of education. Within ethnography are epistemological and methodological differences and controversies. Here we will present an introduction to ethnography, inviting interested students to pursue the subject through additional readings and coursework. For one succinct review of issues in critical ethnography, See Lesko. An accessible introduction to the subject is Walter Werner and Peter Roth's Doing School Ethnography, published by the University of Alberta, Faculty of Education, Department of Secondary Education. Noting its Greek origins, Werner and Roth define ethnography as, quote, writing about people, graphy from the verb to write, and ethnos from the nouns nation, tribe, or people. We are defining ethnography primarily as descriptions of situations, whether classrooms, hallways, playgrounds, offices, or parking lots, 
and the relation of such situations to the larger school and community context. We conceptualize a situation in terms of two interrelating structures. One, personal interpretations held by individual participants, and two, interpretations and rules of behavior shared and used within a group. End quote. By what methodology does the ethnographic researcher portray these two interrelating and concurrent structures? Ethnographic Methodology Werner and Roth identify three phases of ethnographic methodology. First is what they term the pre-entry, second is the entry, and the third and final phase is comprised of follow-up procedures. As for the pre-entry phase, Werner and Roth list the following procedures or steps. Quote, Distribute statements regarding ethnographers' identities, organizational affiliations, and study goals. Discuss with all involved parties. The study proposal includes A. Problems, questions, purposes of study. B. Methodology for data collection, analysis, and reporting. C. Personnel needed or involved. D. Budget. E. Times for procedures and submissions of reports. All of these activities are a part of negotiating entry. End quote. Regarding the second phase, entry or data collection, Werner and Roth tell us that although there is an overlap among participant observation, document analysis, interviewing, ethnomethodology, and conversational analysis, each can be discussed separately for clarity's sake. Once ethnographers start their research, they need to remember that people must be consulted and perhaps negotiated with regularly. Regarding the third and final phase, follow-up or data analysis and report, Werner and Roth list the following constituent elements. A. Description. Situation from an insider's viewpoint. B. Validation. And C. Significance. Description is a compilation of data into an overall picture of the situation. Validation is the acceptance which this description has for the participants. Disagreement could provide an additional focus for the study. And the significance is the meaning which the description has for future activities and policy planning. Other ethnographers have suggested that while the insider's viewpoint must be represented, the ethnographer's viewpoint must be clear as well. Harry Walcott, author of the widely read ethnography, The Man in the Principal's Office, wrote, quote, My tactic has been to avoid an advocacy position during fieldwork, but to take a position in my subsequent writing, end quote. The trend today may be to share that position taken subsequently with those described, including their response to the ethnographic position in the final report. Ethnographic Research Activities Among the various categories of research, activities employed by ethnographers are participant observation, ethnomethodology, ethnomethodological techniques allow researchers to describe practical everyday rules, especially rules of language, ways individuals construct their everyday lives, document analysis, interviews, conversational analysis, as well as ethno-historical research, micro-ethnographic work, linguistic investigations, and analysis of artifacts. Wilson included nonverbal behavior and patterns of action and non-action in acknowledging the multimodal character of ethnographic research. While ethnographic research is complex, it is possible to summarize general features. For example, Central to Werner and Roth's view of ethnography are the following principles. 1. Interpreting the social world is inherently different from describing the physical world. 2. Interpreting is a temporal and cumulative process of understanding. 3. The interpreter is an important part in the outcomes of interpretation. 
and 4. Interpretation is characterized by consensual guidelines. Even as a beginning student, you no doubt have read ethnographic accounts of school life. Among those ethnographies you might wish to study are Gerald Grant's The World We Created at Hamilton High, Nancy Lesko's Symbolizing Society, Stories, Rights, and Structure in a Catholic High School, Philip Wexler, Becoming Somebody, and, of course, Philip Jackson's classic Life in Classrooms. Theoretical Issues in Ethnographic Research There are theoretical issues involved in ethnography which curriculum scholars have elaborated. Among these issues are political questions regarding the relationships among the ethnographer and those she or he studies. In this regard, Peter McLaren has argued that, quote, field relations and field work must be extended beyond the prevailing humanistic anthropologos that informs their central axioms and be taken seriously within the context of the following question. Under which conditions and to what ends do we, as concerned educators, enter into relations of cooperation, mutuality, and reciprocity with those whom we research? Rather than turning toward phenomenology to answer this question, McLaren turns to postmodernism and politics. This turn is evident in his view that when ethnographic researchers enter the field, they are entering, quote, a field of competing discourses that help structure a variegated system of socially constituted human relationships, end quote. That is, a school is not just a building occupied with people. It is an idea residing in and produced by historical traditions and configurations of thought, for example, discourses. McLaren writes, quote, I am suggesting a radical reconceptualization of culture as a field of discourse. As field researchers, we both actively construct and are constructed by the discourses we embody and the metaphors we enact. We are, in effect, both the subject and the object of our research. End quote. He asks that, quote, field researchers act with the oppressed, not over them or on behalf of them. End quote. McLaren concludes that, quote, a politics of field relations must be grounded in eros, in passion, in commitment to transform through a radical connectedness to the self and the other, end quote. It becomes quickly clear that research generally, and ethnography particularly, are not only technical activities that can be framed and pursued apart from politics, race, gender, phenomenology, and post-structuralism. Quote, culture as a field of discourse, end quote. In an essay published a year later, McLaren extended his examination of ethnography as discourse and as linked to the body. He repeated his view a year earlier, quote, The critical post-structuralist ethnographic practice I am both summarizing and advocating calls for a radical reconceptualization of culture as a field of discourse, end quote. McLaren calls for a, quote, concept of the body as a site of cultural inscription, enfleshment, that is, as a site where epistemic codes freeze desire into social norms. We cannot separate the body from the social formation, since the material density of all forms of subjectivity is achieved through the micro-practices of power that are socially inscribed into our flesh. End quote. Further, McLaren says, quote, I would go so far as to say that theoretical knowledge constitute externalized metaphors of the body. End quote. Referring to himself and to other white, male, middle-class, heterosexual researchers, McLaren observes that, quote, 
metropolitan intellectuals must persistently unlearn their privilege in the context of a neo-colonial world in order to engage the truth of otherness. End quote. McLaren both incorporates and worries over autobiographical dimensions of ethnographic research. For instance, on the one hand, he advises that, quote, the field researcher needs to share with his or her subjects the discourses at work that are shaping the field site analysis and how the researcher's own personal and intellectual biography is contributing to the process of analysis, end quote. Apparently appreciative of the influence of life history, he says a bit further that, quote, our identities are constitutive of the literacies we have at our disposal through which we make sense of our day-to-day politics of living, end quote. However, so he is not misunderstood as endorsing autobiographical research, however, McLaren warned, quote, but I would caution against often fashionable calls to auto-critique through more autobiographical and dialogical writing forms that demand writers acknowledge the biographical and sociological context surrounding their modes of analysis. Epistemologically, reflexive writing forms can fall into the trap of assuming that any text is really a description of the author's subject experience of whatever he or she is writing about. End quote. He insists that ethnographic research will remain, always, political. Quote, As critical ethnographers, we must take human agency beyond the curator's display case where lost histories are contained, itemized, and made unimpeachable by the colonizer's pen and recover the meaning of identity as a form of cultural struggle, as a site of remapping and remaking historical agency within a praxis of liberation. End quote. McLaren's scholarship raises fundamental questions regarding the nature and conduct of ethnographic research, while illustrating at the same time one form of contemporary theoretical research in the field. Additionally, as we will see in Chapter 5, McLaren's recent scholarship expresses the coming crisis in political theory. Theoretical Research Much research conducted in the contemporary curriculum field can be characterized as theoretical. At times, the scholarship resembles research done in allied fields, such as literary theory and criticism, philosophy, theology, social and political theory, and aesthetic theory and criticism. Thus, the research reported in contemporary political, racial, gender, phenomenological, post-structuralist, and theological discourses resembles, but does not copy, thematically and methodologically, scholarship in its antecedent disciplines. For instance, concepts such as hegemony and ideology are borrowed from social theory and then applied to understanding curriculum as political text. See Chapter 5. Phenomenological concepts such as lived experience and bracketing are transported to the sphere of curriculum and pedagogy. See Chapter 8. Issues of post-structuralism are applied to analysis of structuralism in traditional conceptions of curriculum theory and development. See Chapter 9. Concepts such as liberation theology, hermeneutics, cosmology, and eschatology have been incorporated from theology. See chapter 12. One form, therefore, of theoretical research is the application of concepts from the arts, humanities, and social sciences to curriculum. This proximity of much contemporary curriculum scholarship to its sources is perhaps a predictable aspect of the post-reconceptualization stage of the field. Other forms of theoretical research have moved away from their sources in the arts, social sciences, and humanities. They have accomplished a relatively conceptual autonomy of their own. Certain scholarship in gender, post-structuralist, and autobiographic discourses is reflective of research that is more autonomously curriculum research, rather than, say, 
literary theory applied to curriculum. We will return to these issues regarding the field's development in the final chapter. Make it meaningful. Toward what end is contemporary curriculum research directed? In contrast to the traditional field, the contemporary field is directed toward understanding curriculum. Such understanding is not positivistic, not a mathematicized copy of reality, out there, somehow apart from the lives and language of those who conduct research and who are the subjects of that research. Rather, understanding is a reading of reality that reinterprets that reality, and in that reinterpretation, changes both the interpreter and the interpreted. In this respect, the point of contemporary curriculum research is not different for the university scholar than it is for the practitioner. As one practitioner has written on this subject, quote, for the practitioner, adopting the interpretivist logic of justification for inquiry means foregoing the aspiration to get it right and embracing instead ideas of making it meaningful, end quote. University scholars working in the contemporary, reconceptualized field agree.